And turn your friends to John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 18. These famous words for Scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Well, I want to think this morning of the God who is real. The God who is real. Well, I sometimes wonder where people get their idea of God from. The whole world over. And down the centuries of time, God has been the subject of man's thinking. There's no doubt about that. And that very fact should have the despisers of religion a little quieter. If such a subject, the subject of God and his being, has been around for so long and will not go away and has always been the belief of even many of the greatest of the minds of this world, even to this day, how can the idea of God, the belief in God, the absolute reliance on him, the central theme of so many people's lives, be dismissed as a thing too ridiculous for some to consider? Of course we know that a lot of the thinking has been to do with a very great doubt that God exists at all. But it's pretty certain that it's only because atheists shout louder than others that people get the impression that most people don't believe in a God. Well, that's certainly not the case, we know that. The facts are there. Almost every poll that has been canvassed shows still, as in all ages, that there are many, many more people that believe in God than don't. But even atheists should wonder, they should wonder, why so many do believe in the existence of some sort of deity. And the atheist ought not to dismiss the majority of the human race as irrational and simple-minded and unthinking, especially as it has been the belief of so many of the great philosophers of this world. It has been the belief of a great many of the great minds, the greatest scientists, certainly the great mathematicians, great believers in God, many great mathematicians and engineers and writers and poets, of course. Well, they believe, they believe even in one God and the maker of all. And you know, if all the writings and books of non-believers in God were to be set up, beside all the books that have been uh, written that have assented to such a belief in God, then that pile of believers' books, well, it would be vastly greater, vastly greater. And we might say that if an inquiry were made into which pile of books were read and enjoyed and even become the most important in the world's education and brought the far greater good to the human race and even great and tremendous pleasure well there'll be no competition <laughs> no competition friends works of atheists tend to be just sour grapes and they're just dry books often just left in libraries unled, unread and endless insults those books are to the minds of those that can believe in the supreme being, such books are full of, you know, just circular arguments. Or they say there cannot be uh, a God because uh, the world could not have been created. 
What sort of argument is that? If there is a God, then he is well able to create this world and this universe in which we live. In fact, as is practically all the media and the running scared of creation by design brigade have to say, they cannot afford to get to grips with the, uh, how the eye came into being, the human eye, or the self-clotting blood system of the body, and in the end, the whole universe had to be up and running in one go. You just cannot get evolution to work. Nothing would ever survive what they say is needed to get to the life forms that we see today. But still there persists this most ridiculous argument that there is no evidence for God. But really, the world and our very bodies and our minds and our emotions just chock full of the evidence for such a God. But there is just one thing. There is just one thing that non-believers in God will say that they believe ends all argument. And they say this, you cannot see God. You cannot measure him. You cannot put him under the microscope. Or rather, uh, you cannot get him in the range of a telescope. So, because we cannot see him... He is not there. And so they say it is just childish to think that he is real. But the Bible says precisely that. And yet comes to an entirely different conclusion. Here, look. No man has seen God at any time. Of course, the Bible says such a thing. But what kind of reasoning is it that says, because you cannot see a thing... It cannot exist. I never saw any electricity. I have never seen the oxygen that feeds the fire. I've never seen a mind, or a brain perhaps, on some of those gory television accounts of uh, how the brain surgeon is able to do marvellous things. A brain, yes, but a mind? Who's ever seen a mind? Of course not. A mind that thinks and feels and loves and yes, sometimes hates a mind that plans and reasons. We defy any scientist to say he has seen a mind. But what man, atheist or not, would say there is no such thing? Are we so foolish as to say, well, I see no God, therefore he cannot be? Who is the simpleton then? The conclusion of the Bible is that though no man has seen God at any time, Yet every page of the Bible insists on his being and glories in his perfections and wonders at his power and cowers beneath his judgment and is drawn towards his love. Is it not amazing that with the same piece of information, no man has seen God at any time, with that same piece of information, some will say, there you go, there you go, no such thing. And others will say, well, I cannot see him, but I really have no doubt that he is real. And then if someone says, but you're quoting the Bible. That's the Bible that you're quoting. That's John's Gospel. This is written by mere men, by perhaps the Apostle John. And uh, it's only he that says, no man has seen God at any time. And you're arguing from the Bible. But friends, whether it be in the Bible or not, is it not the case? Is not the Bible right? No man has seen God at any time. 
We may have some superstitious or crazed insistence from some that they have seen God. But surely what we have here in John 1 and verse 18 is what an atheist as well as a Bible believer would say. No man has seen God at any time. There's no dispute about that. And is it any wonder? The Bible itself tells us enough about God for us to know that we cannot see him. Why? He is spirit. God is immaterial. Well, not only does the Bible say that, but what else could God be? If he is eternal and if he is the creator of all material things and if he is before all things and the cause of all things, what else could God be? but spirit. And even without, without a Bible, this is evident. God's invisible qualities, his power, his divine nature, his being able to be everywhere at the same time. You see, unlike angels, which the Bible teaches us, are spirits, angels can only be in one place at one time. But God is not a spirit like that. He is the eternal spirit. He is the being of all beings, being in all places at all times. And the invisible working of God is seen throughout the universe, just as the electricity drives the motor or oxygen feeds the fire. Well, in a much more spectacular way, God drives the universe and God feeds the world. Just as the Bible says, God upholds the universe by his mighty working and power. All that we see around us in this world, in this universe, must have a driving force, but also a planning and a determining mind. Of course we cannot see God. No man has seen God at any time. And well, what should we expect? His spirit, eternal spirit, an ever-present spirit. But that does not take anything away from his reality. The God who is real must be unseen and yet must be obviously perceived by his great works and his continued upholding of the universe that he has made. Just as we see the branches of a tree move in the wind, we're not ignorant of that invisible draught of air that moves it Neither should we be ignorant of all that moves the universe that God is in control of and upholds it all by his mighty power. And we must believe that what we see, this world, this universe, the vast rolling spheres of space, and then look inside to ourselves, our wonderful bodies that God has made, we must believe that what we see had a cause. Even evolutionists, well, I have some idea of that, but that is a great question mark with them at the beginning if they use such language because for them there can be no beginning. It's got to have always been there. But we understand that there must have been a cause, there must have been a real beginning. Something must have caused this world. Something caused matter. Something brought design and order. And much more than that, something must have brought marvellous unity and balanced, a perfectly balanced ecology. 
and amazing physical laws on which the universe depends. And much more than that, also wonderful beauty and fantastic detail and vast expanses of space. And much more than that, human minds capable of intricate reasoning and sublime love. And the creation itself of wonderful music and stunning paintings and stirring poetry and courageous acts of bravery. And this eternal God, who is certainly the cause of all these things, has put his very image in us so that we know it is him. We are aware of his presence and we know it can be none other, except we deliberately push these things aside and hope against hope that there is no such God except a God that we make of ourselves. Why? Even the people of the old civilizations of Egypt and Mesopotamia, well, these had no trouble, even without a Bible, of seeing these things, the reality of the unseen God. And we should not sneer at them because our society in general is in very great ignorance compared to those that have spent lifetimes thinking over these matters. But all this must come down to our individual consciousness. What do we think? What do we know? What do we perceive? What do we feel when we are on our own and our thoughts go out to something, to God, and we feel guilty, or we experience pleasure, or we contemplate eternity, or we lose a loved one, or we break down and weep and cry, somewhat blasphemy, God help me. What is this conscience within us, this consciousness that judges our actions so that we feel good when we do good and we feel wretched when we do bad? This conscience has no trouble showing us what is good and what is evil. Who is it that tells us such a thing? if it is not the invisible, real God that planted that very conscience within us. That very mind and conscience of ours must have a cause. There must be a reason for conscience. There must be such a thing as good and evil. And there must be one that shows us it is so. There must be an invisible teacher of our minds when and where we go wrong. And the Bible tells us that it is the God who no man has seen at any time. And if we should ask the age-old question, why are we? Why are we here? Where did we come from? What caused us? Again, there is only one real answer to that question, even as the children's catechism tells us. Who made me? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make me in all things? For his own glory. This is the glorious God who no man has seen at any time. There can be no other cause but a God of infinite wisdom and power and purpose. We must not be fooled by the constant propaganda that evolution has been proved. Oh, there's no God. It all came about by chance. Nothing about evolution has been proved by true science. Evolution is the most mighty speculation the world has ever known. Well, now we talk of cause, or if you like, the reason we came to exist. But if this should all be by design, and the cause must be intelligent, 
even the wisdom of God himself? Well then, if there is a cause, surely there is a purpose. Why did God make this universe? Why did God make us? Why did this eternal, invisible spirit God make us somewhat like himself and place us in this world and sustain our race and make this universe work for us over the centuries? It surely must be that he would communicate with us. It surely must be that he would speak with us and make himself known to us in some way, even that we should think that he should be uh, in a most pleasurable situation, that he should have his creatures love him and worship him and communicate with him. If this being of God is perfect, we would think all his working and all his purposes would be good and wonderful. We know that there is good and evil. Maybe we are troubled, understanding why there is good and evil. But we must surely believe that God is good, that God is good and wishes us good and created us for good and to experience good things. Well, how will God make himself known to us? He is the invisible God. No one has seen him at any time. No one has set him down in a physical space and measured him and described his features. No, they could not. He is eternal spirit. What must God do then to show himself? We cannot see spirit. We cannot see a God that fills the universe. We cannot comprehend a God outside of time or one that is eternal in the heavens. Well, to show himself, he must change something. To show himself, he must change something. Not his essence, not his being, but he must do something. He must do something different to prove his reality to us, to communicate himself to our minds and our senses so that there can be no doubt. And this is what we have here. Verse 18 of John's Gospel, chapter 1. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This is the unseen God entering into our world, coming to our time scale, the time scale that he made for this world. This is the invisible God taking on a form, the form of a man. And not just an apparent form, but an actual one, the man, as we see there in verse 14, the word, the son of God, the eternal God was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. He was made flesh and came and dwelt amongst us and we beheld him, we beheld his glory, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we beheld him full of grace and truth. It did not affect the being of God himself, but here was an addition here God took on him the form and nature of a man, born of a woman, yet not of a man, for all men are sinful. And as he, as God, must not be infected by the corruption, the common disease of the human race, he must, as a man, display all the perfections and the power of the mighty God. But so as we could see it and grasp it, but above all, to believe it to believe that this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the very embodiment of the eternal, invisible God. 
and he enters into our world. Not just our physical world, but our spiritual world. He also has a soul, a human soul, who as the man of sorrows feels sadness and grief. And as he lives his life, he knows temptation. And he experiences love for men and women. And he experiences and exercises compassion. And he's angry at man's sin and hypocrisy. So in all these ways, we can identify with him. And he communicates to us his understanding of us, his love for us, his anger at us, and his desires for us. And the purpose of his appearing in the flesh is to declare God to us. Do you see it? He declares God to us. This word declare is the word unfold. Unfold. To tell as a story unfolds and a narrative is told and the detail is given. The Lord Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh to unfold God to us, to declare himself, who he is, and what he is, and what he has done, and what he will do, to declare his character, loving, compassionate, just, holy, understanding, powerful, almighty, all this Jesus Christ does. We have all the detail in our Bibles Because we are born after it all happened, this declaring of God by the Lord Jesus Christ, but still he wants us to know all the facts, all the proofs that he has shown, all the demonstrations that Jesus Christ is God and that he came so that we could see him and could talk to him and he to us and so that we could have God shown to us all the things about God that we could not see nor tell before the Lord Jesus Christ came because no man has seen God at any time. What else does this world want of God? Do we accuse him of coming at the wrong time? That it should have been in our day. It should have come now, not 2,000 years ago. But then, what of the people then? What would they say to such timing? But God has had it all carefully recorded for us in the Bible so that we have the most amazing record in the Gospels and in the Bible of it all. If we dismiss it all as just human nonsense, then we don't deserve at all that God should show himself to us. If we should run roughshod over his holy word that brings all the proofs down to our day, preserved, kept, in pristine condition, so that we have but to take up this book in our hands and read of all his wonderful doings, well then we deserve to perish. If we should pour scorn on this, God has declared himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how can a man be How can God become man? Well, same as he made the world. God is not incapable of such a thing, of taking on humanity and coming into this world. We may be incapable of fathoming it, but don't put God in the same class as ourselves. He did it. He did it. Let's face it, as a being of beings, God is far above us, as we are from an ant or a worm. God, we are told, is in fact three persons. A glorious trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all eternal, all one, indivisible, yet distinct in his persons. Don't ask me how, I'll just read this in his word, the word of God. And the Son, 
Wonderful title of the one who agreed to come in the flesh to show us his Father God, who is himself, for he and his Father are one. And by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Christ, he was born of the Virgin Mary to be a saviour after that he had shown us his God. And this only begotten son, do you see it in our verse? This only begotten son, this only son, this sole son. The Greek is more to do with the only rather than being born. God cannot be born, of course not. But this is a relationship that is spoken of here. He is in the bosom of the father. This word bosom, well the Greek for bosom is interesting. Here is a bay in which a sheep, ship lies safe and secure and the ship hugs the coast. And uh, that coast, that bay, is its home. And in eternity past, the son was in the bosom of the father. The meaning is that they are as close as close could be. And the rest of the scripture tells us, so close that they are one, the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, do you see what God has done? What love and condescension of the son of God to come in the flesh and to declare, to unfold God to us, to show us God and to speak to us. Ah, but still our hearts ache to know him ourselves. No man has seen God at any time, but still we would have him come close to us. How can we know God is real? Well, what we need is a felt experience of God for ourselves. For that is what Christian conversion is. Conversion is a personal experience of seeking and finding Christ the Saviour for ourselves. This one, as we all know, suffered and died as a man on Calvary's cross to make it possible for people like us to be forgiven our sin and to be granted eternal life. There he died on the cross in the place of sinners like us so that the Father pours down the penalty of sin on his Son instead of us and we are allowed free. Conversion brings an end to guilt as we come repenting of our sin and trusting in the Saviour and yielding up our lives completely to him. Well, this brings us a true understanding of our God, the God we cannot see. Conversion is the change that makes us come to know the Lord and feel him in an unmistakable way. Do we want that? Do we want that? Do we really want to know God, to see him with spiritual eyes? It's no good thinking and disputing that we want to see God if we do not want to see him in this way. He is a spiritual being. He must be understood and seen in a spiritual way. And we must seek him spiritually by prayer and a heartfelt desire to end all hostilities that our sin and our rebellion to him might cease. But everything we see and learn of God through Jesus Christ in the Bible leads us to see that he will respond to us. If we come to him, he will respond with love and affection and compassion and he will save us and change us and above all, he will make us to know him the real God that no man has seen at any time. This must become the most important quest of our lives. Of course no one has seen God at any time. Whoever thought it could be any different from that? And yet he is the God that came in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know him 
and know that God is real and know his salvation and love him now and in eternity. Oh, friends, if you've not come to know the Saviour and this invisible God, come to him in your hearts and in your minds, even just now, and know his forgiveness and salvation, and you will know that he is real. Amen. Let's sing together hymn number 238, a hymn concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Mighty God, while angels bless thee, may a mortal sing thy name. 238.